look, but the, re- the reality is the vehicle form factors matter. And, you know, had Argo survived, um, the, the, you know, the escapes that were being used, you know, the trunk was full of compute. And we talked about that. Like, what's the next vehicle? We talked about it. We knew. And the people these companies know too. And so fundamentally, the CPUC vote is, has a lot more upside for a company that has a, a vehicle form factors that line up with the business model as it is today. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy. And I spent four years at an executive at a self-driving company. And I have a lot to say about today's topic, which is the CPUC decision and what came after. Who wants to start? The Battle of San Francisco. <laughs> well, so I, I saw that you had that note, um, Ed, that you were calling it the Battle of San Francisco. And and I, I agree. Um, but I also see this as um, a microcosm of what could actually end up playing out like in other cities around the country. Um, do you agree? Or do you feel like this is a very San Francisco specific thing and we're not going to see this happen anywhere else? I actually think, I think that's one of the biggest questions here. I actually tend to think that there's a a lot of what's going on right now uh, is very San Francisco and California based. Um, I think a lot of the, the conflict, and we should probably backfill a little Tell bit for, what we're for our listeners, about, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but it definitely feels as if you know uh, AVs. There are some like very you know legitimate concerns that people have about about AVs on the on the roads, and, and certainly we now have a number of of incidents that sort of are fueling that. But also clearly, there's um, a broader sort of conflict in the Bay Area between the tech industry and sort of everybody else. And uh, that's been going on for a really long time. And I think that there's there's no doubt in my mind that like a lot of what we're seeing right now is is being fueled by that. And so I'm curious to see if if in other places uh, the situation is different. But let's let's rewind here a sec. And Kirsten, yeah, you're, the, so, you're the real reporter I, here. Why don't you uh, – I always like that, the real reporter. So I'll, how about I lay out the basic storyline. On August 10th, after months, months and months of waiting, the California Public Utilities Commission voted and approved Cruz and Waymo for the final permits that they really needed to uh, do what we call, we always refer to loosely as scaling commercial robo-taxi operations. So this allowed them to charge for driverless rides 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and... um, really kind of have no restrictions or bounds on their fleet size, as well as operate anywhere in the city. So prior to that, Cruz and Waymo were sort of skirting the edges of what they could do within the confines. So some were operating at very specific hours or very specific areas of the city, or if they were charging for rides, Waymo, it was with the human safety operator behind the wheel. So Now this is like opens the door to them finally being able to launch. Within days of that happening, Cruz had a series of pretty embarrassing incidents. Um, There was right before it, uh, the NBC reporter um, taking um, Cruz, a Cruz, you know, uh, exec around and it like the car, you know, stops and it was this long wait but then, of course, because there's so much attention and everyone has a phone, <laughs> the the one that got the most, the two that got the most attention were the 10 or so driverless vehicles that ended up holding up traffic for like 20 minutes. And then a cruise um, vehicle driving into a wet cement. Um, then there was another one of it, a video of it driving, like being confused by construction and driving down. And that prompted San Francisco... Um, district attorney to file motion with the CPUC, basically asking them to roll back that approval. Um, All of that happened with a span of just a few days. And then came Thursday night. And Thursday night, crews entered into an intersection. They had the green light, but an emergency um, responding vehicle, a fire truck, was, you know, going through the intersection. Um, They collided. And there was a passenger in that vehicle with um, what has been described as minor injuries, but we weren't there on the scene. We're not doctors, so we should probably avoid describing any injury as major or minor. 
they were tra- they were transported to the hospital. I think though they, they were they were there's some video showing that person kind of walking around. But like again, we don't need to weigh in on that because we're not medical professionals and we weren't there. But what has happened as a result is now the DMV weighing in, and they're the main authority that regulates the testing, development, and you know uh, use on public streets of autonomous vehicles. And they called for crews to immediately reduce their fleet by 50%. Crews complied. And this is until they their quote-unquote investigation is over. So that has all happened since from August 10th to August 19th. Nine days of a lot of drama around crews. <laughs> that was a great summary. The only thing I would add is that is that at the CPUC meeting where they did vote to approve this expansion, there were – I think there was a public comment section that, that basically yeah. went – I think at least six hours, at least six hours. Um, And so that was the other piece, right? Was that, you know, and again, this was at the start of this, you know, week and a half of, of, of drama. And, and so the sort of political furor was already quite high. So yeah, it's been a really interesting, yeah, week and a half or so um, for all the AV companies that are, that are operating in, in California. I I, I had a couple of people reach out to me and said that they, they counted, you know, each pro and, um, negative comment at the public comments, and it was like split just about down the middle. Yeah. Um, which shows again what Ed was kind of alluding to a little earlier, which is this sort of the 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 un the undertone um around tech and its relationship with San Francisco residents in general. Like um there will there is a lot of tension around um just launching technology into the city. Um, there are a lot of people who f- feel like they are guinea pigs because so much tech is developed in the city. And the latest example is, is you know, robo-taxis. So, Alex, what 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 have you been hearing? Because I know I'm sure you're hearing a lot. Uh, I've heard a lot. I mean, it is um, it is fascinating how. Uh, how slow people have been to acknowledge that there are fundamental differences between AV companies trying to deploy robo taxis. I mean, I mean, the, the fir- first of all, I've heard so few. The opponents to to, to this have barely registered that Waymo and Cruz have very different issues, or even when the issues are similar, that the scale of issues is very different. And then the thing that really amazes me is the absolute total silence of the Tesla fan community. Because literally on the scale of being part of this dialogue, Tesla doesn't even register. Like they're just like not part of it at all. Like in what universe could a Tesla now or anytime soon even participate in this debate? They can't. They literally can't. And the other day I was cruising around using FSD beta in my car and it occurred to me that the part that – Tesla FSD doesn't include at all is the very part that is at the core of these debates, which is how do you perform a pickup and drop off? Where do you, where do you stop a car? How long do you stop for? And who, who does the vehicle call or do first responders call when there's an issue like Tesla technologically and operationally does not, they're not even in the zone of, of operating robo taxi network unless there's a radical transformation of Tesla as a company with like a new division that just does this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's all, it's humorous that any Tesla stands even think they're part of it. They are not. They oh, are and, not. and, and by the same token, I mean, right. So, so we saw, you know, with Cruz that failure, failure to, to yield to an emergency vehicle leading to uh, an injury that, that maybe didn't require hospitalization, but that led to hospitalization. That is a, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because at the at the at the hearing, you know, a good week before that incident, there was a lot of concern about safety. At the time, I was like, you know, really, the the record of of, of the robo taxis in San Francisco is not perfect by any stretch, but certainly from a, a purely a safety perspective, it's not bad. Um, uh, and 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 here, you know, and then so you know, unfortunately, Cruz's behavior like that. That is sort of the the most objectionable, I think, from a safety perspective incident that has happened with a robotaxi in San Francisco. But I think you do you have to put it, and I feel like <laughs> a little bit of a broken record on this. You do have to put that safety performance in, and 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 the fact that that's the worst sort of incident so far that's happened with a robotaxi in San Francisco in the context of a Tesla, where again you have you know your driver assistance systems or whatever. But um, one of the really frustrating things about this to me is that you know. The, the safety record of Teslas are so bad. And yet, especially in the Bay Area, 
Teslas just blend into the background. People don't look at them and are like, oh, that might be unsafe. Whereas they look at a, an AV and and it's just very easy. It jumps out. And and so it's, it's, it's a symbol. Let me bring this back to Kirsten's original question, which, is, <laughs> which I'll answer with a hot take. Before, uh, once the CPUC vote happened and the green light was given, but before all the incidents in, in the ensuing days, my first reaction, and it's, it remains, actually it was proven true, is the CPUC, um, had they gone negative, would have been a big um, optics downside for the industry. But not like from a practical standpoint, it isn't really that much of a downside. And that they got it is an optics upside, but not really that much of an upside. Because the reality is, if you wanted to, so so what? You could charge money 724. Unless you are operating vehicles at scale on routes that could potentially be profitable, the vote doesn't matter. And 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 this so the vote actually greatly favors Waymo because Waymo has vehicles deployed right now, the Jaguars, which could operate in in theory doing airport pickup and drop into downtown San Francisco, which is, as we all know, you look at the Uber numbers, those are the routes you want to run. And Cruise can't do that right now. And well, so, wait, hold on one second. Yeah. How is Waymo right now able to do that in San Francisco? Because they have a human safety operator? Because they have an, the vehicle in a form factor that can legal, legally, like, I mean, from an, it's a vehicle that can do that. Where's the origin? You're not going to run bolts. It doesn't have a luggage space, luggage capacity. I mean, all this technology, even if it operated perfectly today, perfectly, from a practical standpoint, a bigger vehicle that has a real trunk can carry multiple passengers paying with luggage. Does the iPace have luggage space? Oh yeah. So, if, so, I mean, this is again where like Waymo's, where people who, including myself, have kind of poo-pooed Waymo for being so theoretically slow in rollout, and yet all the years of deployment and testing in Phoenix pay off. You, when I take a Waymo in Phoenix to the airport, uh, and I get dropped off, um, the trunk opens automatically. Let me take my luggage out. Like they've done, they figured out like the small stuff and the big stuff. I'm going to push back a little bit though, because like when I've taken an, yeah, when I've taken an, a human driven Uber, I've been delivered to the airport in a Chevy Bolt multiple times. So yeah, but it didn't, I, the, 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 the trunk alone? space is full of, of, full of the compute. That's, that's oh, what is we, it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, so but, but I'm two people, useful. four people. It's just not going to happen in, in a in Well, a sure. But four people in a, in a Waymo I-Pace, I don't think will happen either. Right. Two people, two parents, two kids. Look, but the, re- the reality is the vehicle form factors matter. And, you know, had Argo survived, um, the, the, you know, the escapes that were being used, you know, the trunk was full of compute. And we talked about that. Like, what's the next vehicle? We talked about it. We knew. And the people these companies know too. And so fundamentally, the CPUC vote um, – it has a lot more upside for a company that has a product mix, a vehicle form factors that line up with the business model as it is um, today. And so when you go to uh, the additional cities, like one of the critical vectors of assessing a city for rollout is what is the dis- not just what is the distance to the airport, but what is the necessary speed? And you have to take highways. Can you get to that airport using only city streets? And does your form, vehicle form factor match it? And then what is the demographics of likely pick up and drop um, you know, customers? And so this is where Waymo owns cruise, even if the cruise vehicle is working perfectly. And now with these incidents, um, I, I am curious to see how much of a wedge um, someone drives in between cruise and Waymo because there are fundamental differences now, fundamental that are becoming very clear um, and it's, not, it's product form factor, it's performance. Sorry, but don't you feel like we're just one – like if Waymo also had an incident now or sometime in the next couple of weeks, I think it'd be harder – I mean, I do think there's very distinct differences between the companies, how they communicate, um, how they roll out. Uh, Cruise has always been a more aggressive company, and it's something that I think that is part of the company culture – and aggression, by the way, isn't necessarily a negative um, always, um, but they've always been a little bit more, bold. You know, I guess, like bold. Uh, bold. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Waymo has always been like um, the downside of Waymo has always been like, what exactly are they doing? Like at first, it, it, sometimes they didn't communicate what they were doing very well. Um, it seemed like they were doing something slow um, and, and that there was confusion around that. So they are very distinct, different companies. 
But don't you think that if Waymo also had an incident in San Francisco, that it'd be really hard to like for the public to even care about that distinction and that they would be like, look, here's another example of another robo taxi company, you know, doing something unsafe. Therefore, I believe as the public that all robo taxis are bad. Like that seems to be where people are going. And it's less about crews and more about robo taxis. Well, that's the, that's, that's, the risk for the better actors. I mean, no one's heard a peep out of Zooks or emotional in any of this. Emotional's not deployed there, but you haven't heard anything about Zooks. Look, the, 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 what is starting to happen is you see some of the super pro guys, um, like the Tesla stands, like Robert Scoble and these guys, you know, making statements like, well, you know, it's so unfair to judge, like to judge an AV fleet as if it's one driver. Um, whereas we allow humans to be judged like as individuals. Well, you know, these AV fleets are not, you know, they shouldn't be judged that way. But if if every vehicle in a fleet that was deployed today in San Francisco, say every every cruise was running the exact same software, um, then maybe one could make that argument. They're not. They're running different states of software, different parts of the city. I, I actually, I'm guessing. I don't know. Now, Argo was sometimes running different states, different parts of the city, depending on like where they were and what you were doing, testing versus passengers. Um, the real the real question here is when is whether or not the if Waymo is an incident, that is no worse than any cruise incident. If Waymo is merely um, their perception positivity drops only to the cruise level or still remains above cruise. That's a brand question more than anything else. Uh, certainly, I- I'm going to guess that Waymo would remain optically in a slightly better place than cruise, uh, but it depends on the incident type. You just don't know. The other thing, and this is because multidimensional, is what happens in the other in the other launch cities. Because I agree with Ed, it's not going to play out the same way in every launch city. There's a the the air in the room is um, smells of the local politics. All mobility is local. The three of us have said this over and over. So it's city by city. This will this may play out very differently. And I suspect that if it's a red state, um, and people people just aren't going to care as much. Maybe not at all. And if it's a blue or purple state, well, if you consider Arizona purple, people just don't care. And the performance has been pretty good. So. Look at Phoenix. Like we don't need another counter. I mean, that well, we, we already have one counter example, right? Like Waymo's have – so it's not as big a presence as – but it's been, it's been there longer. In the very early days of Waymo's um, driving around uh, uh, Phoenix, there were some incidents. There were a few sort of vandalism and other kinds of, of reports. But that seems to have, have dried up. You don't have this sort of broader anti-tech sentiment in Phoenix, I don't think, or at least not to the extent that that it's concentrated in in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and you know, I, no news is good news, right? Like that's kind of the deal with the AV business. And so you don't the fact that you're not hearing about anything in in Phoenix to me that's the strongest indicator that that San Francisco is a a, a bit of a unique case. And it's interesting because you know for. It, it, there's a lot of incentives in high tech to launch your product in, in San Francisco. You have like, you know, techies for your early adopters. You have, you know, a, a showcase for your venture capitalists. So they can see your product out in the world. You know, people who are investing in your product. Like there, there's over the years, there's been a lot of incentives for companies to, to launch in San Francisco. Um, but I think like this may be showing that I, I, I think in retrospect, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that a lot of AV companies would have done differently and a lot of investors and whatever, but like, I certainly could see maybe that that I mean it's not just San Francisco. Really, California is, has turned out to be quite a difficult, considering that you know the majority of the big players in AV are based there. It's not a, a super easy place to do business. Um, and and again, there's just a lot of pushback. And again, I think you know that this is what was really interesting about watching the comments is that it was it was there, you know there were some absolutely really really on point criticisms of the companies and like we've we've talked about you know some of them here i think the big one is transparency you know and if you look at what's happening on the federal level it's pretty clear that you know transparency is is what everyone wants certainly at the you know or, or like in the public interest it's hard to regulate this this technology really specifically but it all has to start with with real transparency so there've been some real criticisms about that and then just sort of the high-handed style and the, you know there, there's some there's some things that really do map onto you know the actual behavior of these companies but then there's a whole bunch of stuff you know that's just like we don't want cars in our cities and things like that and and not that's perfectly reasonable as a political goal 
it has nothing to do with what the CPUC does, right? Right. So, so politically, but again, too, you know, and again, it, it was really fascinating. Uh, and I guess it was our last episode discussing, you know, some of the walkable uh, development that is happening in Phoenix. But like, I don't think there's a lot of people who live in the Phoenix area who are like, yeah, let's not do AVs because a reasonable alternative to that is just like tearing everything up and making Phoenix a car free city. Yeah, no, like, one's just- cla- no one's clamoring for that in Phoenix. You know, it's. It's interesting because California, as you stated, is uh, a weird is weird politically, um, and and partly because they've been a test bed for other mobility experiments gone awry, right? And so there is an understandable reason for some people's comments about like, look what will happen with ride hailing is a good example. And so you understand, but then a lot of the comments would get into this other territory that you just talked about. That is, if that's our political goal, fine, but like has nothing to do actually with like robo taxis, but they sort of like expand their sort of negative feelings outwardly. But the reason why California regulations are such is in part because it is oftentimes a, a test bed for technology that sometimes doesn't go so great. So, you know, it's it's the result of previous issues, right? Um, and also California in general has just like more regulations than, you know, other states because of the political makeup of this of the state. But San Francisco in particular is like the next it's like the high octane version of California regulation and a lot of, of layers there. What I wonder is if the CPUC had the power to, and, and it's possible they did not, um, to give a permit with certain um, guardrails. So, <laughs> I, I, but I don't know if they can. I mean, it, it is possible that the way that that whole law is written that they can't, it's either a yes or a no. Um, but I wonder if that would have been perhaps a better approach because it's possible that just the cruise incident was inevitable and it was just unlucky timing. Like, I don't know if they suddenly were flooding the streets with like even more vehicles because they got the vote and they were, you know, excited. I I have none, I've none that information, but if there was guardrails on the rolling out of it, like you've got the permit, but let's do this as staged growth. I wonder if we'd be sitting here talking about these issues. Hot take. The cruise, uh, the DMV coming in saying cruise has to cut vehicle fleet size by fifty percent. Um, actually, is is going to have is not um, as punitive as they think. So imagine your cruise. Let's say I mean for you had a hundred vehicles in the street and you have thirty people in the operations center um, who are capable of remote guidance or teleop or resolving issues that have been happening at scale. By forcing crews to cut down to say, theoretically 50 cars, you're now dr- dramatically improving crews' ratio uh, of, t- of operations folks who can resolve these things to vehicle, um, which should, all other things being equal, resolve much of the problem, many of the problems or much of the problems that uh, crews had in the streets. As soon as they lift that cap, Okay, the problems will return because the ratio will return to its original state unless some other improvement has occurred. Either it's staffing and operations, or it's some um, software improvement which would mitigate or or minimize the number of incidents, or both. Um, so in a way, it's a gift to crews. Hot take um, that crews should take advantage of while they can. Um, so when they return, when they get that that cap lifted, they can actually not have those problems repeat because they will repeat. If it, and, and people just – it's just – look, I, I want to be nice to – I want to be fair to everybody. Okay, I want to be fair. But the regulatory bodies, even those with good intentions and, with, and people with good intentions are just not qualified to see, understand what they're doing in most cases. And, you know, I'm going to give props to um, – uh, to uh, Jeff Tumlin at SFMTA, he has said over and over he wants this to work. He wants technology to work, and he would like it to work if only you know. And that it has a role to play. He said that. Okay, but the the heavy handedness and maybe um, of some of the things like this cruise cap, just they don't make sense. You know, I mean, you want to really go after the AV companies, you would do something that would be um, rather than be prescriptive, like got to cut the number of cars. You would look at outcomes like 
from, hey, guys, you can deploy as many vehicles as you want. Go ahead. But the response time for moving a vehicle has to be X minutes or seconds. You will see a rapid. Well, don't you don't you see this as don't you see this as I, I wouldn't disagree with you on that. That would that would make a lot of sense. Is again putting some guardrails on or or some standards, right? But because it's so new, people are just figuring out like, oh, we actually have to have a stand for this, like response time or things like that. But this um, reduction in the robotaxi fleet, at least for now, seems like it's pretty much related to this investigation and that they might get to where you are, what where you're thinking once that is concluded. Like, oh, our investigation shows, and I'm just making this up, that your response times are X and this is also a problem. Like these are the three problems with your operations. So you need to meet these standards now. Um, and I would assume that they would apply to every other AV company. I don't know if the DMV has the power to do that, but that would seem like a natural progression instead of just investigation is over, go back to 100%. The other thing is, to be fair to the AV companies, like to for a regulatory body to come in and just declare, here's the performance standard that has to happen or else you're, you're toast, is also unrealistic because what you want to see isn't necessarily an arbitrary performance standard selected by someone who doesn't understand the technology. What you want to, what everybody wants to see is progress towards some um, towards something which performance uh, level, which everyone can agree is better than what we have across humans or AV. Like, and that's a reasonable goal. And that I don't know if anyone can define that today. But for you know, that's why when Tesla has a software update and thus stuff gets worse, it's clearly bad for everybody. Um, one would expect there not to be regressions, and and once there, once you move past not seeing regressions, you want to see some rate of improvement. And that's why I think it was Koopman who said, Phil Koopman, our friend of the podcast last week said uh, in one of his posts, um, it is really important that the same mistakes not occur twice. Right. And that's where Tesla totally fails and the AV companies actually have shown good faith, I think. Right. Well, so it's, uh, um, I know Ed probably wants to make a comment here, but um, (laughs) I did want to mention briefly about, Cruz's response. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting. They they issued a blog post um, and they did talk about, um, you know, the, the typical um, standard crisis communication stuff. Like we're thinking of the passenger. That's our primary concern. We will be, you know, it, you know, working with investigators, all that stuff. Uh, but then they actually get into breaking down what happened. Like the AV actually positively identified the emergency vehicle and it goes through all these different steps, um, which I think is interesting and and certainly worth sharing. And it's showing a little bit of transparency. It felt like a little bit uh, in a couple of spots that they were making like excuses, but, but when you read it and you take it as a whole, it's like you, you get where they're going. Their official statement though, I thought was interesting because they kind of dig their heels in just a little bit um, about how AVs are still safer. And so the statement is, over 100 people lose their lives every day on American roadways and countless others are badly injured, Cruz said in a statement. Uh, we believe it's clear that Cruz positively impacts overall road safety and look forward to working with the California DMV to make any improvements and provide any data they need to reinforce the safety and efficiency of our fleet. So it's cooperative, but also like in the beginning, it's like, oh, P.S., though, we're still safer than human driven vehicles, (laughs) which is an argument that they've used in the past. And I'm just wondering if if that it's hard to say if it's smart or not, but it's absolutely like fodder for anyone who's opposing it to go after them. Right. I mean, it it may and maybe that doesn't matter, but like there are definitely people I got a, a flood of emails and also some DMs and stuff on social media kind of referring to that statement specifically. Like it really poked the bear, in, <laughs> at least for some people. It really got them angry, um, which I thought was interesting. Well, and, and the other the other piece of this – and look, like, you know, some – a lot of, you know, traffic is – it's not random, but like there's a lot of, you know, randomness in traffic and things happen. And like, you know, two of the most recent crashes falling – 
the CPUC were both, I think, both the same night, right? The one that we've described, uh, which the failure to yield, clearly Cruz's fault. But Cruz had the green light. They were going through the intersection. They just failed to yield to an oncoming emergency vehicle, which again, really big problem. And and I want to come back to that in a sec. The other one though was was someone in a you know blacked out Dodge Challenger or whatever, just you know really high speed, just drove right into the car. That you know some of these things are are. There's nothing you can do, right? You see, the one about, you see the one with the crews going through the intersection into the crosswalk while like a family was crossing. Yeah, so. but see, so okay, so that the the sort of the concrete one, and then really especially failure to to yield, um, leading to an injury. I mean, these are these are not just the kinds of instances you don't want to have happen within a week of of this kind of really heated political thing. But but we should also remind people that in between the CPUC ruling and these and these incidents. You know, Cruz was out there. Their, their their founder was out there, like really kind of doing a victory lap on the CPUC ruling. And like, you know, as we as we've talked about, like, you know, policy wise, people wrapped up there. You know, I don't think people really understood what what the policy issue was. Um, and and clearly, it was much more like a political debate or discourse than it was like a, a specific you know policy one. But have you? I think that sequence of events is is. Is is really not good um, to 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 write to have like this ruling this like you know oh this this validates that we're safe and then boom 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 like series of 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 escalating crashes like it, you know even if even if inclusive of all that right and, and and like this is the thing with 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 car crashes and with like safety in general is that humans don't rationalize risk. But the, the humans will process risk rationally. Like we don't think reasonably about it. This is why we're afraid to fly more than we're afraid to to, to be in a car, even though that makes no sense if you're if you're actually looking at the um, at the odds. And so I think you know, you know, this is a political situation. And so you know, just relying, as you say, or you at least implied, kind of Kirsten, like relying on some calculus, which, by the way, like if you really know statistics and you really dive into it, like proving safety. It's always conditional, right? Safety only ever exists in a given context. You can only c- compare one context, you know, with a with a with an apples to apples context, which is really really hard to do on the on the road. And so, you know, your statistical analysis, like that you're that you're relying on so much, is a little bit of a a a, a, a you know a, a thorn patch, right? Um, and then, meanwhile, just on a purely like optics and emotional basis. You know, you're doing a lot of things that you don't want to be doing right on the heels of this kind of conflict. So, it, to me, it shows that that you know that the optics really the optics really matter here, and that I think like how you approach what you can control. There's a lot of things you can't control, but what you can control is how you are presenting yourself and your work and your company and your culture. And I think that that that's where if I were doing comms at these companies, that's where I would be looking. Just so we don't sound too to me or me or don't sound too mean. I have friends at Cruz. I, I know great people at Cruz in tech, in uh, in policy, and but somebody I don't know who it is. Kyle, who is it? Is deciding what these messages are going to be, and those messages are a mistake. They're a mistake. Does it? Does it? Before okay. you do, have you ever seen there was a. Uh, you know, recently the, the Waterloo trailer came out with Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon. Uh, sorry, Napoleon trailer with Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon. But there's a 1970 uh, movie called Waterloo with Rod Steiger plays Napoleon. There's a great moment where it's it's nearing the end of the battle and Napoleon's like, that's it. It's like, we're about to win. It's great. We're, we've got this. And then one of, got, one of those generals is like, uh, sir, look, look through your telescope. The Prussian cavalry is arriving. And he's like, and Napoleon looks at them and he's like, it doesn't look good. And he says, it doesn't matter. As far as we're concerned, they're on the moon. They're not part of the battle. We're winning the battle. And I'm reminded of, of, of these statements from Cruz because right now, Cruz is operating in Phoenix. You never hear complaints about Cruz in Phoenix. Effectively in Phoenix, Cruz is in the same boat as Waymo, a good one as a Phoenix resident. People are fine with them. They don't care. But to declare victory, you know, in San Francisco and then have these events is like comms 101. You don't do that. And this is a this is a masterclass of what not to do. Yeah. Um, when you're fighting a complex multi-front battle that is not nearly over. It's not nearly it's like it's like running the mission accomplished flag, you know, in two thousand what six when Bush did actually get one. So I want to ask you, Alex, because like we, we used to talk a lot about, right? There was this this big debate. 
in in the AV sector about the what you what you refer to as the was swallowing the cactus, right? No. <laughs> Which was like, and, and essentially it was sort of Waymo and Cruise were sort of the two sides of this, right? Cruise's strategy was we're going to train in San Francisco, we're going to develop in San Francisco. It's the hardest place. Once we get it up to snuff here, we'll be able to go anywhere. It's going to be easy by comparison. And everyone and and Waymo, you know, was out. Waymo was off in, in Phoenix uh, and everyone sort of, well, not everyone, but people said like, oh, they're going to be stuck on easy mode forever. They're going to have a really hard time going from there to, you know, somewhere like San Francisco. Well, now, you know, we're start- – so and, – and, and it was interesting. You mentioned before that you think that like – either a shortage or like, or issues with, with, um, you know, basically the, the tele-op piece, uh, is, was contributing to a lot of the issues. And I think like certainly guidance, a lot of I the think. like Remote delays guidance. and things like that, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. But now, I mean, we're actually talking about like incident incidents, you know, crashes, like driving into concrete, like a, a lot of things that I don't know if it's just, so I, I'm curious, like, do you, do you feel like as, there's, there seems to me to be a delta opening between Waymo's performance and Cruise's performance in San Francisco. Now, I do know they operate in slightly different domains, although that may be changing. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like, l- looking at it. Do you think- don't you think it's too early? Sorry to chime in here, but, like, don't you think it's too early to make comparisons? Because we don't even – neither company really shares fleet size. Of course so it's too early. So we don't know the concept. <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> it feels like there's a delta, Ed. And Kirsten, you're right. We don't have enough data. But look, um, I am not privy to the <laughs> secrets of Waymo or cruise operation centers. But when – so when a vehicle stops, in theory – there's a, a timer goes off. There's a timeout. Something happens, and someone at, the, at operations is made aware of it, or should be. And then a decision is made of who shall deal with it, and how long does that take? And then when they attempt it, does the solution work? Whether that's teleop or remote guidance, I don't know the details. These companies, but um, it is fundamental when. Uh, six or seven or 10 vehicles are stopped in one intersection at one time, you know, that's an all hands on deck moment. That's a people get fired. So it never happens again moment. And I don't know. I, I can't, I just can't tell you um, what has happened that led to that, nor why that wasn't resolved more quickly, but it's clearly not good. And you can, there are examples. I mean, look, there are, are multiple teleop companies who have multiple uh, different products. Some are remote guided, some are teleop, um, who try to build businesses around this, having a hard time getting uh, clients because there's a limited pool of clients that are big enough to 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 make it possible to survive as an RG or teleop business. And yet, it's clear their services are needed. Um, and it's also very clear that the not just the operational depth of bench, but the management experience. Um, around this specific type of operation is, I mean, this is a new field and deploying AV at scale is as much a management skill. And um, I will call it, um, I mean, they're writing the book as they do it. The book started at Google before Waymo existed. And then the veterans of that, you know, kind of percolated out to other companies and you're seeing different manifestations of the OG Google playbook play out at different companies. So this is tough stuff to do, really hard. And this is why, again, I hate to – please to, uh, don't run away with this and make this the Tesla episode again. This is why even if Tesla Robotaxi was technologically feasible in any near to midterm, that this other stuff, the stuff that Waymo and Cruise are trying to solve now, does, literally doesn't exist. There's no organization at Tesla to do doing – even thinking about this. And so someone would have to stand it up inside Tesla or created outside Tesla to manage a Tesla network. And so this is where like the rubber meets the road, like path planning, software perception, all that is, that's one set of problems. The other stuff's a people problem, a business problem. So I don't know how they solve that. I mean, maybe if you hired every veteran out of like military drone management, every, every single one of them, you get them all. The way Uber rated Carnegie Mellon back in the day, then maybe you might get, you might shorten the time span to solving the operational management part of an AV robotaxi network. On, on the other hand, so sometimes you know something completely different will give you a, a, a totally different perspective. And like I, so just the other day, uh, it was a weekend. Um, partner and I are downtown. We took the Max, uh, the light rail downtown. 
had to get back to the to the east side. We we walked over the bridge, and uh, we only had like you know three or four blocks to go uh, to to where we were going to meet our friends, and there was a train right in the middle of the east side of Portland, uh, inner east side of Portland, just stopped. And we had about 20 minutes. And so, and it was going to take us, you know, about five minutes to, to get to the place that we were meeting our friends. And so we stopped, there was a little brew pub, because of course it's Portland, there's, there's a brew pub everywhere, and had a beer and 15 minutes go by and the train is still sitting there. It's just sitting, doing nothing. And to be honest, and, and I don't like to admit this because... <laughs> It was dangerous. I don't think you're supposed to. We ended up climbing over the train. Like there's there's little steps that you're not as a civilian supposed to go on. It's supposed to be for train people. And we ended up walking and like that's dangerous and people get hurt doing that and stuff. And it was, you know, I know this was like it was one train in one part of one city and it's like not blocking like really fundamental parts of traffic. But like this is also the second time I've been stopped behind a train that just sat there for at least 10 minutes uh, uh, somewhere in Portland. So I, I bring this up really just to kind of put out there, like there are, you know, compromises in life. And sometimes, you know, we just accept certain things. And I think that's the thing with AVs is that is that it's so new and people are so unsure about where it's going as a technology. I think that's really the big thing that scares people that, um, you know, something that something that they might otherwise live with if, if it's a train or or. Or, or even something that a human driver, you know, a situation a human driver creates that all of a sudden if it's an AV, it just gets seen a totally different way. And I think to some extent, only time can change that maybe. Kirsten, you're the voice of reason. Well, yeah. So um, I agree with that. Yes, I am the voice of reason. So first of all, we we don't have in, um, deep insight because we don't work at Waymore and Cruise about exactly what goes down in terms of the operations. So the first comment I want to make is hopefully – the last week or so has um, motivated crews to change some things operationally and that they get that and that they they learn from it. Because Alex, as you noted, all of these companies are kind of learning as they go along. Um, and the only thing we can really um, n- not just hope for, but maybe put regulatory framework around to help support this is that they learn from these errors and make everything safer and better as a result of that. So that's the, the the end goal here. But then Ed, I think you're right, is that time, in terms of like the overall acceptance of these, I think back to Dr. Gil Pratt and um, when we had him on years ago, but also a talk he gave. And he basically laid out that Human beings, if you went to them and said, autonomous vehicle technology will cut the number of deaths from the 45,000 or so a year to, I forget the number he put, but it was like a very low number, like a thousand, that they still wouldn't accept a robot killing a thousand people, but would accept 45,000 human drivers killing um, each other, you know, in crashes. And that that is one of the issues. Now that doesn't mean or excuse um, operational risk and problems within AV companies, but it does lay out this, the bar in which human beings have a hard time getting over. It's, it means that operations and safety and comms matter even more yes. than, than, you know, it's like, it's like you have, you're going up against a mountain, like essentially human psyche will not accept one death from a robot car. Um, and that might seem unfair and crazy, but it's the reality. So how do you then deal with that. And I think that the companies that deal with that correctly are the ones that will, you know, ultimately be more successful. I have a suggestion, my friends. If you would like to see safer streets, you should sign up and join the Human Driving Association because seriously, like I like the original platform which I wrote as a joke like 5 years ago, basically said we're okay with automation if there's some transparency around it. And but we also absolutely demand that you achieve like a higher level of professionalism behind the wheel. And the thing that I, I absolutely disgusts me, hot take, how many hot takes can I have today? These guys putting the cones on the roof, uh, on, in, on the hoods of these AVs, it's like how many times have they been putting cones on the roofs of a, of, of a driver? 
who of a human driver who behave badly. Honestly, these same people like should be demonstrating in front of the DMV to like quintuple penalties for dangerous driving for humans or 10x the penalties and enforce them. Because if you want to make a dent there, that requires literally no investment to just quit double the penalties and enforce Well, that's them. come up. We, we've talked about this numerous times about like, you know, if you really wanted to save lives, like do some of the most basic things that we could do right now, um, start there. And that where is this like sense of urgency and, and um, protest around things like people who text and drive, you just don't really see it. But I think in general, back to my previous point, that it is, and as Ed was saying earlier, um, human driver behavior has become accepted. <laughs> and as, as rash, irrational as that is, it is the reality. Yeah. And, and it kind of bothers me that like, that, right? Like I, it feels like on the AV side, like the danger of human drivers is it's like a talking point that gets instrumentalized. And so a lot of people are like, well, they don't really care about it. Right. A, like, you know, the idea that AVs are going to solve all human error problems, that they're also also implicit in that talking point is that technology doesn't have problems, which we know is is not true. But I have to say, like, the people who are the loudest about, you know, banning well, first of all, not liking AVs, but then sort of banning cars generally and whatever, are also the people and again, this is like a nuanced, complex issue. And, and we had, you know, uh, Justice Singer from There Are No Accidents on. But like this idea that like sort of that, you know, the, that we put too much response, like too much onto personal responsibility of drivers, like that we don't, you know, and again, like, yes, we could do more on the infrastructure side. You know, these things are are, are system level things if we want to if we want to make improvements. But it does kind of feel like both sides of the AV debate, like neither side of the AV debate, like, like seems to care about what I see. And again, like a lot of it's anecdotal, but you just see how people are engaging with driving out on the road. And you can tell people are not uh, uh, approaching it as if it's the most dangerous thing they do. And so, you know, maybe that's one of the things that the, that the AV companies, you know, need to, need to find a new way to, to engage about or something Um, uh, is, is sort of, you know, not just, not just throwing it out there as a talking point, but like, okay, like, if safety is really an issue, you know, um, let's let's actually talk about that um, and and have it, you know, like in a more principled way. I don't know. So, well, that 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 leads to a good final note here, which is where do where do we all go from here? Where where do these companies go from here? Like, what are the steps? And and I said mine. So why don't you two share yours? But mine was. Hopefully, not just Cruise, but Waymo and every other AV company takes a like sort of understands. Um, and I'm sure they do this, by the way. I, I seriously doubt that people are sitting around Cruise being like, this is no big deal. I'm sure they're frantic, right, to solve this, but that they really take a close look and go, where are our biggest weaknesses? We have to get this solved um, and we have to do this now. Um, and that every other AV company sitting back and having their moment of Schadenfreude. Uh, actually look at their own operations because it could easily happen to them as well, right? So hopefully they take this opportunity to really pick apart everything they're doing and double check, cross the T's, dot the I's and make sure that response times and other things are as good as they could possibly be. So that to me is like what I would like to see happen um, and see evidence of that happening. Um, Ed and Alex, briefly, what do you, where do we, where do they go from here? What do they do? Well, I mean, I, I certainly hope that that they take this situation as kind of, as you say, an opportunity to improve, right? Like you, that's this, this is a business where there will always be improvement. There always need to be improvement. And again, that's, that's part of, I think the culture that's, if this is going to work, um, it's going to be because companies have a just relentless culture of just always improving. Um, and again, you know, solving problems on the, on the, on the technical side, technological side, on the operation side. And as we discussed sort of on the comms and PR side, I think that is the way to turn this situation into a positive. I don't know, no matter how much improvement these companies do, I don't know if San Francisco is ever really going to be the the market that they want this to be. Like, I, I do think that for better or for worse, there's a political situation on the ground in in the San Francisco Bay Area that is that 
you know, AVs are now inextricably caught up in and that to some extent healing the divide in this community that we saw in very like vivid display um, the other week is not, that's not something that AV companies can solve. You know, it's something that AV companies have to navigate, but I don't think they're going to solve. And so I think to some extent, what we may, what may well end up being the the real outcome of all of this. And it's going to depend a lot on how, I think for me, Austin, Texas is the market that leaps out as having some of those elements politically and, and culturally that you have in San Francisco. Um, there is definitely a bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a culture of like a culture war between tech and, and everyone else in Austin that's been kind of slowly bubbling up there, but it's nowhere, nowhere close to what it's like in the Bay Area. That to me is going to be a, a real test case. A, it's going to be interesting to see how these companies approach it differently, but also how the community responds differently. If they can make it work in Austin, then I would say that, that San Francisco may end up being a footnote in this whole thing. And that, and then, in effect, maybe you know, San Franciscans, if they really, if the, if the if the mood is really that they don't want to hear, they may just you know be able to make it such that you know it's just not a very attractive place for AV companies to do business. Um, but I think that's you know, San Francisco is not so representative that it's going to all live and die on that. To me, I think Austin sort of represents that sort of really answering the question of you know, can you take this to a you know, most American big cities and have it work. I think Austin mm-hmm. is more representative of the overall opportunity than San Francisco is. Uh, okay, Alex, I, and your final I'll thought? defer largely to pretty much agree with everything Ed said. Look, I, I would say this. There are some people at Cruise who are terrific, really great, and I don't think they're being listened to. Let's leave it, lend it right there. Um, they should be because what, you know, what a tremendous opportunity AV is and how – how it, disappointed it would be to see it delayed um, because of a tonal, comms, optically suboptimal approach. How how disappointing that would be. Um, there are only a couple of companies left that can do this on any near-term timeline. Like, like be smart. Okay. Be smart. There's great people at every company. Let, let, let them do their jobs. All right. Well, on that note, um, we'll be watching and obviously commenting about the developments that are happening in the robotaxi space and specifically in San Francisco in the weeks and months to come. But for now, thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast.